I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Janet Yellen doubling down on her warning over a possible U.S. debt default as President Biden prepares for a second face-to-face with House Speaker McCarthy. Ahead of those talks, markets are already pricing in a likely U.S. credit rating downgrade with echoes of the 2011 debt standoff looming large. And not just debt talks, a busy day on Capitol Hill as well, as the former CEOs of two now failed banks get set to take the hot seat before the Senate. And it's all about AI during another hearing with the CEO of ChatGPT creator OpenAI. We weigh the investment implications coming up later in the show. Plus, bullish new bets by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has one stock popping ahead of the open. It is Tuesday, May the 16th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Bit of a muted open in the futures right now. We're seeing them pretty much flat across the board. The Nasdaq just very fractionally in the green. We're also checking the bond markets. Not seeing a lot of movement in the bond market, however, as we await for that debt limit uh, conversation between President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy. Uh, the benchmark tenure at 3.47, pretty much where it was yesterday. We've also seen a very slight decline in the yield on the two-year, now at 3.98. It ticked just above 4% during yesterday's show. We also want to get a check on energy, specifically oil, on the back of the IEA raising its oil demand forecast this morning. It says China's demand for crude is growing at a faster pace than expected. Looking at oil right now, we're seeing WTI crude, the U.S. benchmark, it's up this morning fractionally. But above 71 bucks a barrel, a little bit more of upside movement from what we saw yesterday. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, at 75 and 30 cents, also up fractionally. Natural gas down fractionally this morning. And we're always looking at crypto. Um, looking at crypto this morning, we're seeing Bitcoin still below that 30,000 mark at 27, basically 200, down three quarters of a percent. Ether, still below 2,000, down about a half a percent this morning. All right, looking across the pond, trading in Europe, just getting underway. And another rocky session shaping up for Turkey once again. Our Jamana Bersetchi is in our London newsroom with much more. Jamana, good morning. That's right, Frank. Let's get to all of that. But first, with European markets, so we can see that all of these bourses are trading slightly in the green, a bit of a bit more of a positive tilt today. The FTSE 100 in the UK up two tenths of a percentage point. We had slightly weaker than expected wage data come through, which has lessened the probability of another rate hike out of the Bank of England. Of course, we're watching that very closely. Zetradax, Kekaron trading a little bit in the green as well. But some of these sectors that are coming under pressure today are autos and luxury, namely any single stock that has exposure to China is coming under selling pressure because of the slightly disappointing data that came out of China overnight. But let's switch on and talk about Turkey. First, a quick look at the currency, and you can see that the fall continues. So versus the U.S. dollar, the Turkish year is about three-tenths of a percentage point weaker. Worth noting, of course, that over the last two years, the currency is 60 percent weaker. And this after yesterday's election results showing that the incumbent president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, is still holding a comfortable lead after the first round of votes in the country's presidential election. But he now faces a runoff against his rival Republican People's Party candidate, Kemal Kulic Dalu, after both of these men failed to gain more than 50 percent of the ballot. So the reaction in the market yesterday was quite telling. People are concerned about what this means for the state of the Turkish economy. It wasn't just the Turkish lira. We had the stock. The uh, stock market was down about four percentage points in the open. Banking stocks down 10 percent. CDS up more than 100 basis points on the day, Frank. Yeah, certainly a lot to watch when it comes to Turkey. Uh, Giovanna, you're also tracking some big corporate news and shares of Vodafone. 
Yep, that's right. It is one of the major underperformers today on the FTSE 100 and the stock 600. The stock is down more than four percentage points after the announcement will be cutting 11 thousand jobs over the next three years with the UK's new CEO saying that performance has not been good enough and the British telco forecast flat earnings growth for the next financial year after posting a full year net profit of almost 12 billion euros and Vodafone also it should be said is currently merger talks over its UK telecoms business with CK Hutchinson's three unit but the group said there is no certainty that any deal will take place so on the back of all of that news the stock is trading quite negatively today Frank. Yeah, a lot of developments for that stock. Our Jamana Brissetti live in our London newsroom. Jamana, thank you very much. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Frank, good morning to you. Well, the CEOs of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank head to Capitol Hill today for a hearing before the Senate Banking Committee in what will be their first public grilling since the collapse of their company some two months ago. In prepared comments released ahead of today's hearing, former SVB CEO Greg Becker says he does not believe that any bank could have survived a run of that velocity and magnitude, adding his team made the best decisions it could at the time. That hearing is scheduled to start at 10 a.m. Eastern. Shares of Horizon Therapeutics are sinking ahead of the open on reports. The FTC plans to challenge Amgen's $28 billion deal to buy Horizon. According to Bloomberg, the FTC plans to argue the tie-up would hurt innovation and slow the pace of new drug development. The suit is expected to be made public as soon as today. And Elon Musk is firing back at the U.S. Virgin Islands over a subpoena tied to its lawsuit surrounding J.P. Morgan Chase and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. In the suit, the U.S. Territory says it has reason to believe Epstein may have referred or at least attempted to refer Musk to J.P. Morgan as a client and seeks documents related to those accusations. Now, no comment from Musk's legal team, but... Musk is tweeting, calling the subpoena, quote, idiotic on so many levels, and that, quote, the notion that I would need or listen to financial advice from a dumb crook is absurd, Frank. Yeah, a lot of developments around Elon Musk in recent days. Big interview with him and David Faber. Huge. Coming up later today. Certainly something to to watch after 6 o'clock Eastern time. Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later in the show. All right. Turning now back to the markets, investors increasingly seeking portfolio protection as the risk of a U.S. debt ceiling default. Uh, It ticks higher. And also we're having a lot of drama in the economy overall. That includes a notable shift towards shorter maturity Treasury bills within money market funds. According to strategists at J.P. Morgan, holdings of bills maturing within 30 days. They made up 74 percent of total T-bill holdings at the end of last month. That's up from 43 percent at the end of March. The strategists add at the same time, bills maturing in more than 60 days declined to 9 percent from 13 percent of holdings. For more on this, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO at New Street Advisors Group and a CNBC contributor. Delano, always great to see you. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. So we're talking about some of that trend data that we're getting from J.P. Morgan. It really points to people looking for yield and also trying to protect portfolios. Um, when you talk to your clients, what are you advising when it comes specifically to the bond portion of their portfolios? 
Yeah, I think one thing we're advising is is right now is a good time to be in short term treasuries in money market funds that are high yielding. And a lot of them, you know, have that same notion. If you're hearing um, over the last, you know, five to six months, you know, what you can get in a, in a high yield savings account, if you're seeing um, the cash shorting that's going on, a lot of people are very much inquiring about that. And I think that's a good strategy right now. If you look at, you know, what the S&P 500 and, and what the NASDAQ is pretty much, you know, quite as kept pretty much virtually in, in, in bull market territory right now, you know, that doesn't lend to a lot of um, short term, you know, uh, bullishness in what's going on. And I think a lot of people are looking for protection. And right now, short-term, um, you know, short-term, shorter-term duration bonds and treasuries are, are a great place for people to find that protection, as well as just have you know a, a dividend stream and an income stream that's you know quite usable for people in a, in a situation right now where inflation is still running rapid. So people are looking for that protection. I think it's a good place for people to look. So you said the Nasdaq 100, also the triple Q's, a way to invest in them. Quiet is kept is one of the the in bullish and bull market territory. Um, it seems like that's a trade that a lot of people are actually piling into, mega cap tech. Are there certain parts of that trade in the triple Q's that you think people aren't identifying as well? No, I think, you know, that trade is still a, in a good trade for people. But, you know, from my standpoint, I, and we last time we talked, I was thinking that around May, um, things would get a little <laughs> bit skittish. And I think we're getting close in that territory where folks would, one, want to maybe shift out of a little bit if, if with the fresh cash, shift out of those those trades and look at new cash going into, as I mentioned, like those short-term treasuries as well as value plays. Because right now, if you look at the near term, there are things bubbling under the surface that might lend to a little bit more volatility. If you look at the credit crunch that we could potentially have, that's a real risk right now for investors. Yeah. And I think that slows down a little bit of what's going on in the economy. Uh, banks are going to have higher credit standards, obviously, to keep liquidity on hand and because of what's going on with consumers. So, so I think that okay. trade is going to come back in the, the longer term. But in the short term, that trade is a little bit more of something that I would be cautious of. All right. So what about the credit crunch? What about uh, the U.S. debt ceiling? Are you, we talked about short-term treasuries just to protect portfolios. But what's your take on that? Um, do you believe there is going to be a default? Are you worried about the, the credit rating of the U.S.? So I don't believe there will be a default. I understand that there's a smaller risk there. And I think if you look at the reasons why, understandably, there is a risk, is last time we were downgraded by the S&P in 2011, the, debt, the interest on debt was $425 billion. And if you look at where we're seeing now, it's around $930 billion. And so that's a real risk. And obviously, as a percent of GDP, the debt for the U.S. is, is obviously 95%, which is a huge amount. So those are real reasons why you know, there could be a, uh, some sort of downgrade. But I think if you look at what Standard & Poor's is saying and the outlook, the big reason why I think it's still stable is because there is more than likely going to be something happening in legislation that will okay. raise the debt ceiling and we will be in a good position. Right. And All so right, that's Delano, the big we, reason why we got to leave I the conversation there, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate the insight. Thank you, Frank. Great to see you as always. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, hear what investors should expect when the CEO of ChatGPT um, oh, creator, OpenAI heads to Capitol Hill today, plus your big money movers and why Alphabet is getting some hedge fund love this morning. And then later, pricing on the odds of a U.S. credit downgrade, even if a debt deal gets done. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We have a market flash on crypto. The European Council says it's adopted the world's first legal framework for the rules of crypto regulation. It requires crypto firms to be authorized by the EU in order to serve customers in that region. They must also comply with safeguards against money laundering and terrorism financing. 
Taking a look at crypto right now, we're seeing it's red across the board right now. Bitcoin down about three quarters of a percent. Uh, Ether down about a half a percent. XRP, the hardest hit, at least this morning, down more than a percent. All right, moving on. Today, the CEO of ChatGPT creator OpenAI, Sam Altman, has to Capitol Hill to testify in the Senate hearing. So what is at stake and what can we expect to be in focus? Julia Borston joins us with the very latest. In today's Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on privacy, technology and the law, we are sure to hear a spectrum of concerns about AI beyond just fear of robots taking over the world. Some key issues, concerns consumers will be manipulated and misled, that AI will perpetuate bias about everything from hiring to mortgages, that AI and technology such as facial recognition will result in privacy violations, that the rise of AI will result in increased dominance of the tech giants and limited ability of upstarts to compete, and we'll likely hear about how AI could drive job losses. We are also sure to hear some concerns that if AI is incorrectly regulated, American innovation could be stifled and China will win the new AI race. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has been working on a proposal for transparency and disclosures about how AI is trained and responses are generated. His framework requires companies to allow experts to review and test AI technologies ahead of a public release or update. He also advocates for ethical guidelines for AI systems. There are some other proposed bills ranging from requiring disclosures about AI and political ads to banning its use in launching nuclear weapons. Frank, over to you. All right, thank you to Julia Borston. Well, it's not just Sam Altman testifying today. Christina Montgomery, IBM's chief privacy and trust officer, will also be sitting right there alongside of him. And prepare remarks ahead of today's hearing. Montgomery says she will call on Congress to adopt a precision regulation approach to artificial intelligence, asking them to regulate based on specific use cases instead of using blanket standards. Also on her wish list, different rules for different risks which should include clear, standardized definitions for such risks, such as well as transparency rules for AI use. For much more on today's hearing and the future of AI regulation, let's bring in Salima Rice, founder and CEO of CDO Today. She currently advises hundreds of Fortune 500 companies on data management strategies, AI transformation, and digital innovation. Salima, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. All right. So we're getting some insight into this hearing from the prepared remarks from that IBM executive. Do you agree with her that we need precision regulation to allow innovation by companies? And do you believe that will also protect individuals? Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, we've, we as a society, you know, we love data. We love AI. We love um, all the, the ways in which we can help our organizations grow and, uh, and save money and innovate and create new things. But there's a stake at risk, right? There's, it's, it's kind of like with, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And, and these types of controls are, are necessary. And, and we don't want to have unbiased. We, we want to make sure we want those people to trust the data. We want people to trust the AI. And without those, um, without those in place, I'm afraid we have quite a bit of a fiasco on our hands. So, Salima, you're taking kind of a, a Spider-Man approach. With great power comes great responsibility, right. a, a quote from the movie. What does That's that mean right. in practical terms when it comes to the companies and also for individuals? What's the responsibility part that you think companies have? And do individuals have some responsibility as well? 
Absolutely. I mean, from an individual, I think you want to, you, you want to be able to identify like, um, what information you want to be able to share, right? I mean, part of the, the challenge we have today with, um, this inflection point that's, um, that's on us is, you know, we don't know enough about it. We don't know, um, we don't know who owns the data. We don't know who owns the output of the generative models. And so as consumers, you know, we're worried about, you know, is our data being used? Is sensitive data being used? Is private data being used? And then, you know, even from the consumer side, if I'm a consumer of it, you know, how am I going to trust it? If there's, if there aren't controls in place, um, even think of uh, truth in advertising, you know, right? Um, how can we really uh, put guardrails around it so that we can um, identify and use it to make confident fact-based decisions? So it sounds like you're touching on the fact that AI needs data. It needs large amounts of it. Very large. Um, yeah, huge amounts of it. Um, when it comes to that data, how, what's the responsibility for companies? And right now, I think most people would agree a lot of our data is out there. We don't really control it. So we're hearing things from Schumer. We're going to probably hear more, you know, precision regulation talk from that IBM executive. I'd imagine Sam Altman would have his own take. In your mind, what's the kind of regulation we need for companies very specifically when it comes to data to not only protect our data, but again, allow for their innovation? Well, I think that there are going to be regulations around um, what kind of data we can use. So eliminating, um, in some cases, some of the personal sensitive data. I think um, we've got to have regulations around um, making sure that we're not using biased data. So data that could, um, or data that could could harm an individual or a company. And I think you touched a little bit on, you know, um, ensuring that companies are, you know, giving consumers the opportunity to know what is being used, right? Like, I want to know what type of data and what type of um, of information is being used to produce this AI output so that I know and feel confident in whether or not I can uh, trust it for making decisions or trust it for driving my car or, you know, trust it for a surgery. So I think just being very transparent um, is going to be a big part of uh, the AI regulations that we're going to hear about today as well. Yeah, I think transparency is going to be a key word. We're just getting this conversation. Salima Rice, this conversation started, I should say. Salima Rice, thanks for uh, having the conversation with us today here on Worldwide Exchange. Absolutely. Thank All you right, so much. Coming up here on the show, a challenging landscape, to say the least, when it comes to regulatory hurdles, big tech, and Europe. Case in point, Microsoft Activision, the full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. And today, it's all about 13F filings. We're kicking things off with Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway making a new nearly $1 billion bet on Capital One in the first quarter of this year, adding to its portfolio of credit card issuers and big banks, including Bank of America and American Express. Looking at Capital One shares this morning up almost 7%. Moving on to Dan Loeb's third point, taking out new positions in Alphabet, Alibaba, and AMD last quarter. At the same time, dumping its stake in Sentinel One, Fidelity, and Walt Disney. We're also looking at Bill Ackman's Pershing Square making similar bets, scooping up more than 8 million shares of Alphabet's Class C stock and 2 million shares of its Class A stock. This while cutting stakes in Chipotle Mexican Grill, Hilton Worldwide, and Lowe's. And then turning to David Einhorn's Greenlight Capital says it picked up nearly 2.3 million shares of New York Community Bank while taking a much smaller new stake in First Citizens. Both buys are tied to banks that purchase parts of failed banks and deals 
that were orchestrated by the FDIC, looking at both of those banks, up now in the pre-market. All right, we're also watching shares of Microsoft and Activision Blizzard this morning. Microsoft up fractionally, as you can see. This after European regulators, they signed off on the tech giant's proposed $69 billion takeover of the video game maker just weeks after U.K. regulators rejected that very same deal. Arjun Kapal is live in London with the implications. Arjun, why the disconnect here? Well, Frank, the crux of the issue and the concern from both the EU and the UK was that if this deal goes through, Microsoft would take those Activision games like Call of Duty, World of Warcraft and make them exclusive for their platform, therefore bringing up antitrust concerns. Now, both regulators found this wouldn't be an issue in the console market, but both regulators found it could be an issue in the nascent cloud gaming market. You could think of cloud gaming as sort of a Netflix style of gaming uh, where you can stream games without the need for expensive hardware like a console. Now, what happened was Microsoft uh, took these concerns on board and says, we understand you, and they moved to offer some remedies to both the UK and the EU, effectively saying that they would give licenses for Activision games to be able to be streamed on any cloud gaming platform for 10 years, not just Microsoft's own platform. Now, the EU accepted this, saying, yeah, this is a good deal. This will boost competition because now smaller players can get these Activision games on their cloud gaming uh, streaming platforms and offer some competition. UK, however, rejected a very similar remedy, saying that it would be hard to enforce and wouldn't take into account the changing nature of the cloud gaming market, which is still in its infancy. And the UK, Frank, saying is going to stick by its decision. So a bit of a, a, a conflict here between the EU and the UK on this one. Yeah, certainly a kind of, a, as we said before, kind of a disconnect when it comes to these two different regulators. So here's the big question. What happens next, Arjun? Well, in the UK, the Microsoft has said it would appeal the decision of the Competition and Markets Authority. A point to note, it, it, there's very rare instances where uh, the CMA's decision has been overturned when it comes to appeal. So slim chances here for Microsoft on the appeal. The other big question here is the Federal Trade Commission over in the US under the uh, stewardship of Lena Khan, who's got this reputation of being somewhat anti-big tech, being against some of these very big tech deals going through the pipeline as well. So that's going to be a huge challenge. Investors will be watching for August when these two go at it uh, in a courtroom battle over what comes next. So still a big mountain to climb here for Microsoft. Yes, it's got the EU on side, but two huge regulators standing its way in the form of the UK CMA and the FTC in the US, Frank. All right, Arjun, you'll, you'll be tracking all of these developments. Thank you for that report. All right, so to come here on Worldwide Exchange, a big win for Peacock, Sports Illustrated's new cover model, embracing for record-breaking Memorial Day travel. we got your top trending stories coming up. And be sure to catch my exclusive conversation with the CEO of SAP on his outlook for the business software company coming up today at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. we got much more Worldwide Exchange. We're coming back in just a moment. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Debt ceiling sit down, take two. President Biden set to reconvene with Speaker McCarthy and other top lawmakers to try to strike a deal with the deadline fast approaching. The latest on where a potential agreement stands in just a moment. And fears around that debt drama making investors increasingly nervous. Charles Schwab's Jeffrey Kleintop, he's standing by with the moves he's advising clients to make to protect their portfolios. And getting a fresh look at the health of the consumer. Home Depot results due out in just about 30 minutes. We tee up those earnings on this Tuesday, May 16th, only on Worldwide Exchange, right here on CNBC. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for joining us. Let's pick up the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Looking at them, they're pretty much flat and muted as investors try to wait out these debt ceiling talks. Um, the S&P and the Dow Jones fractionally lower than NASDAQ, fractionally higher. Not a lot of movement there. We also going to check now on some of this morning's top stories are Silvana Hanau. She's back with those. Silvana. Well, Frank, it looks like Wells Fargo has reached a deal to settle a class action lawsuit by shareholders. According to reports, the bank is agreeing to pay $1 billion to settle claims of executives making misleading statements, overstating Wells Fargo's progress and compliance after its 2016 fake account scandal. The preliminary settlement must still be approved by a judge. Morgan Stanley is reportedly weighing reducing headcount in one of its overseas units. Now, according to Bloomberg, the bank may slash 7% of jobs or roughly 40 bankers in its Asia-Pacific investment bank. One report adding that the unit focused on China would take the biggest hit, and that's due to deteriorating relations with the U.S. deal and making, making being curbed by weaker economic growth. And Tesla is reportedly entering the final trial stages of production for a revamped version of its Model 3 in China. According to Bloomberg, the updated version of the EV is slightly longer and sportier than the earlier version and features a sleeker interior design. The report says that starting earlier this month, some production staff at Tesla's Shanghai facility were required to start putting their phones in lockers outside the factory's production lines to prevent potential photo leaks, Frank. So. Wow, i got to take some security to get to keep that <laughs> yeah. information in-house, yeah, Silvana. Yeah, sounds exciting, though. We'll see. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Yeah. All right, and our David Faber is also talking with Elon Musk later today at Tesla's shareholder meeting. You can watch it right here on CNBC at 6 o'clock Eastern. All right, back to those debt ceiling talks. Today, President Biden once again meets face-to-face with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The goal? Craft a spending deal to avoid a U.S. debt default, one the Treasury said again yesterday could come as soon as June 1st. In a letter to lawmakers, Janet Yellen doubling down on her outlook of a June 1st X date. She said, quote, We have learned from past debt limit impasses that waiting until the last minute to suspend or increase the debt limit can cause serious harm to business and consumer confidence, raise short-term borrowing costs for taxpayers, and negatively impact the credit rating of the United States. Case in point was the debt standoff back in 2011 when S&P downgraded the U.S. credit rating after a deal was reached. Let's see if we're heading down a similar path and bring in Isaac Boltonski, Director of Policy Research at BTIG. Isaac, great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right, so we were just talking about uh, just now about the possibility of the U.S. credit rating being downgraded. Important to note, back in 2011, S&P actually downgraded the U.S. from AAA down to AA+, and we're still there at AA+. So how real is the possibility of a downgrade, and what, what would another downgrade down from AA+, mean for the U.S.? Sure. I'll tell you, most folks in D.C. are just hoping we can get a deal. And so there isn't nearly as much talk about a possible downgrade as you might expect. And, and that is pretty typical D.C., where we focus on the short term rather than the long term. But, you know, if you just take a step back and think, what were the foundational dynamics at play back then? Well, we had an unstable trajectory of our fiscal uh, standing and we had a dysfunctional political environment. Well, both of those things are present now. And so I think it's more than fair to assume that this most recent round of fiscal brinksmanship uh, could lead to another downgrade, which has its own repercussions for um, U.S. borrowing costs, perhaps. And it adds more uncertainty to the global financial system that 
that the U.S. dollar and U.S. debt play such a central role in. But we don't want to assume, Isaac. I mean, what do you think? You're a policy expert. You have your ear to the street when it comes to D.C., and you're hearing a lot of things. You also have some experience with this whole scenario. What's your forecast? Do you expect the U.S. to be downgraded either before we reach a deal, if we see extended negotiations, or maybe even after, like we saw in 2011? Yeah, so look, my base case with all of this is that we have a agreement to kick the can past the June 1st deadline that the Secretary of the Treasury reaffirmed last night. I think that that's going to push the fight to the end of September. I think that means prolonged fiscal uh, brinksmanship and uh, nonstop headline uh, pain. And I think all of that together increases the likelihood of a downgrade just given the fiscal p- fiscal position coupled with the uh, the political um, nonsense that we've all grown far too accustomed with here in town. All right. So you're saying it's a real threat. All right. So we know the X date is by June 1st. Um, Janet Yellen emphasizing the importance of that. We're hearing other people say we may have a little bit of breathing room, but either way, um, what's your timeline for this deal to get done in a timely manner? What do you have to hear from the meeting today? And what about the days following? What do you need to see happen for a June 1st deal to actually happen? Yeah, so here's how I think about it. The work over the past few days, especially at the staff level, has just been to get a list of of menu items for the principals, the big four plus the president, to agree to. And the staff has done good work, and you've seen uh, them coalesce around some some foundational areas of focus, right? Spending caps, uh, pulling back COVID funds, permitting reform, and, and new things dealing with uh, entitlements and, and worker requirements. So that work. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. I do want to just bounce one other thing off you because we got to let you go in just a second. Um, some things are swollen around there about, you know, 11th hour possibilities, Hail Marys, if you will, the 14th Amendment, a trillion dollar coin by the Treasury to set all this. How real is the possibility in your mind of those things actually happening? Look, those are low. All of the other ideas, the 14th Amendment and the trillion-dollar coin, are low-likelihood items. And I would argue that the White House knows that if you have to employ those, you've likely done a fair amount of damage to confidence in the full faith and credit uh, of, of the U.S. financial system already, which would likely lead to, to that downgrade we talked about before. My base case instead is that we have legislative agreement to kick the can past June 1st, to the end of September, at which point you roll everything in to the annual spending bill and you have much more latitude for for a longer term deal. All right, Isaac Boltanski, we'll leave the conversation there, but I'm sure we will be talking again. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Home Depot kicking off a busy week for retail earnings. The potential signals those results may reveal about the health of the American consumer. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. The NFL striking a one-year deal with CNBC's parent company, NBC Universal to carry a playoff game exclusively on Peacock this upcoming season. That deal, which the Wall Street Journal reports could be worth right around $110 million, marks the first NFL game to be shown only on a streaming service. Nearly 3.4 million Americans are expected to fly during the Memorial Day weekend this year. That's according to AAA. That would mark the strongest air travel figure since back in 2005, further setting up a potentially record-setting summer travel season as more people jump on the revenge travel bandwagon. And speaking of breaking records, Martha Stewart is among the cover models for this year's Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, making her the oldest swimsuit cover model in the magazine's history. At 81 years old, Stewart surpasses the previous record by seven years, 
which was held by Elon Musk's mother last year at 74. A lot of Elon Musk talk today. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms that you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Oppenheimer, initiating coverage of GE Healthcare, giving it a rating of outperform and a $97 price target. It calls the company an attractive large cap diagnostics and imaging play. All right, now to Morgan Stanley. It's reinstating its coverage of Corvana, giving it an equal rate rating and a $12 price target. It says a faster path to break even EBITDA and a more optimistic used car environment addresses some of its previous uncertainty around that stock. Looking at Carvana, down 1% in the pre-market. And BMO Capital Markets upgrading its rating on Gilead Sciences to outperform and bumping up its price target from $90 to $100. It cites in part what it calls a best-in-class cell therapy franchise supported by strong manufacturing capabilities. All right, sticking with stocks, it's all about the consumer. With Home Depot kicking off a busy week for retail earnings, out in just about 15 minutes from now, Wall Street projecting sales for the company to fall roughly 1.5% from a year ago, with sentiment a bit mixed ahead of the report due to unseasonably cold weather, which typically dampens demand for do-it-yourself and professional construction projects. Analysts also expecting some softness in the housing market to have weighed on Home Depot, but your next guest is forecasting a steady increase in home improvement trends in the coming months. Liz Suzuki is the senior hardlines retail analyst at B of A Securities, and she joins me now. Liz, good morning. Morning, Greg. All right, so what are you expecting from this report? Is the softness in the housing market, that unseasonably cold weather, is that going to weigh on this stock? And if so, in what areas? Yeah, and I think, you know, expectations going into this quarter should be kept fairly low. If we think about the pressures that were uh, on the home improvement sector this quarter, besides unfavorable weather, there was also lower lumber prices and lower tax refunds. Uh, so, you know, there was this combination of issues. And so you mentioned that the street thinks sales will be down about one and a half percent. We think it's actually going to be a little bit worse this quarter, more like down three to four percent. So, you know, the, but the good news is that we do think that things are getting better. If we look at the data that we track, uh, you know, the BAC uh, credit and debit card uh, spending that we look at from uh, from March into April, we did see those year over year declines clients get a bit better. So we think the commentary from the company is actually going to sound relatively optimistic about the trend coming out of the quarter. All right. So we mentioned uh, you have a long term, a bit of a bullish outlook for the stock. What's your rating? What's your price target? Sure. So we have a buy rating on the stock. We think that there's actually quite a bit of upside from here, um, even up into 360. So we think that this is um, a really good uh, long-term opportunity. We think that when you think about high-quality retailers, Home Depot is certainly one that comes to mind. And the total shareholder return here is very attractive. This is a company that's still growing its dividend, still paying, uh, you know, paying out uh, that dividend on a consistent basis, and also is buying back its own shares on a pretty regular cadence as well. Um, so in addition to you know what we think is probably going to be pretty tepid earnings growth this year and then some recovery in the out years as we get some of that pent-up demand for home improvement coming through as housing turnover picks up, right? So where people are stuck in um, you know in their current homes because they can't take on a you know a higher mortgage rate at this point and there's not that many homes available for sale. So once we get a little bit of release of that housing turnover, we do think that there will be some uh, some uh, catalysts for, for home improvement to improve into 2024 and 25 as well. How does inflation uh, play into this whole picture that you're painting for Home Depot, its rival lows, and the broader home improvement um, sector? 
We have seen inflation moderate a bit, but in some places it's been especially sticky. How does that uh, impact the home improvement retailers? Sure. I mean, so we've, we've started to see some prices softening in categories like appliances. I mean, I think big ticket items in particular, where the customer is often using some form of financing as well, you know, credit card or, or other forms. And so those larger ticket items where we're seeing some pricing pressure. Uh, and so we're, you know, that's, that's where we see that inflation starting to come off. Other categories, you know, where it's, you know, high demand, um, you know, not uh, not that much um, of a uh, of pricing pressure. We're, we're starting to see those, you know, holding fairly steady. So we do still think that average ticket is going to be higher year over year for the course of this year and in this quarter as well. And transactions are what is generally weighing down the sales growth. But as we get into the second half of this year, the comparisons against last year get easier on the transaction side. And we'll probably start to see some of that inflation continue to moderate. So we think that we'll sort of see a flip in the second half where transactions start to improve and where average ticket starts to come down a little bit. All right, certainly something to watch. Home Depot shares down about a half a percent uh, before the report. Coming up in just a few minutes, Liz Suzuki, thank you for the insight. Great to see you as thank always. Thank you. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, Charles Schwab's Jeffrey Kleintop, with where he's advising clients to seek portfolio protection as the U.S. debt ceiling drama hangs over the markets. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And CNBC, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage throughout the month of May. We're sharing stories of influential AAPI business leaders as we had to break. Here is the CEO, uh, CEO, Julie Wong. Asians in general, we have this attitude of gratitude. And that's because we took time, we took energy, we really want to be where we are. And with that said, we, we feel like this is the right moment for us to not only see ourselves as value add, but also help others in that space. Push yourself as hard as you can and as far as you can, because regrets in life are never about failures, but about things you wanted to do and never did. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. Today, the CEO of ChatGPT creator OpenAI, Sam Altman, he's heading to Capitol Hill to testify before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee focused on privacy and technology. Today's hearing will be all about AI and creating a framework for the responsible development of artificial intelligence. And it's not just Altman. The CEOs of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank are also heading to Capitol Hill today for a hearing before the Senate Banking Committee and what will be their first public grilling since the collapse of their two companies just about two months ago. That hearing is scheduled to start at 10 a.m. Eastern time today. Meantime, shares of Horizon Therapeutics are sinking ahead of the open on reports. The FTC plans to challenge Amgen's $28 billion deal to buy Horizon. An official suit from regulators could come as soon as today. Looking at shares of Horizon, down about 17% in the pre-market. Elon Musk firing back at the U.S. Virgin Islands over a subpoena tied to its lawsuit surrounding J.P. Morgan Chase and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. In the suit, the U.S. Territory says it has reason to believe Epstein may have referred or at least attempted to refer Musk to J.P. Morgan as a client. It's now seeking documents related to those accusations. Elon Musk calling that request idiotic. 
Shares of Capital One Financial are popping in the pre-market after Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway disclosed a new stake in the credit card issuer. Shares are up almost 7%. And the U.S. Department of Energy says it plans to buy up to 3 million barrels of oil for a strategic petroleum reserve following its historic drawdown in the spring of 2020. The purchases are part of the White House's three-part replenishment plan. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. April retail sales are out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, followed by industrial production at 9.15 and May homebuilder sentiment at 10 a.m. Home Depot reports, reports first quarter results in just a few minutes. And Tesla is holding its annual shareholders meeting this afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern. And a reminder, our David Faber will be speaking with CEO Elon Musk at that event. You can watch it at 6 p.m. Eastern. Then on the Fed front, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, New York Fed Chief John Williams, and Dallas Fed President Lori Logan will be speaking throughout the day. All right, the shrinking window to reach a debt ceiling deal is making some investors very nervous after yet another warning from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. That anxiety is not only being felt in short-term T-bills, but also U.S. government credit default swaps. Those are securities that act as insurance in cases of non-payment. The cost to insure U.S. debt now higher than the debt of Greece, Mexico, and Brazil. And keep in mind, those are all countries which have defaulted several times. Let's bring in Jeff Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. Thanks, thanks for having me on. So let's just touch on that for a minute. Um, what are you hearing from your clients when it comes to their worries about the debt ceiling? What are they saying to you? What are you telling them? This is the number one question that we're getting, uh, concerns about this debt, debt ceiling showdown. You know, Congress has always ended up raising the debt ceiling. That's 21 times since 2000, despite each time being a headache. So the chance of default is very low. But for those investors who are worried about a, uh, a hedging or worried about a negative outcome, there are a few ideas they may want to consider here for those uh, doomsday preppers out there. All right. So you have some ideas. I love this. You always come with great ideas, Jeff. Um, you also have some what I'm going to call some Warren Buffett inspired ideas. You're looking at Japan. So you actually you gave me an ETF to look at. It's up so far this year, about 12 percent. Why do you believe that Japan and equities in Japan have more room to run? Yeah, so a U.S. default would likely challenge the safe haven status of the U.S. dollar and favor the yen, the other major safe haven currency in the world. A default might spur investors to seek protection in Japanese stocks and bonds. Japanese stocks outperformed U.S. stocks last year and are actually ahead this year as well. And they posted a gain last night along with the yen. Japanese stocks trade at a forward P.E. of just 13 times compared to 18 times for the U.S. S&P 500. So they're already pricing in a bit more of a pessimistic outlook regarding the global economy. But I think investors could find value there in addition to a safe haven if these concerns about the debt ceiling continue to grow. Yeah, I think the concerns will continue to grow until we get a deal. So as you know, Jeff, we always always ask, you know, investors, I'm sorry, uh, strategists like yourself and other bright minds on Wall Street, a word that they believe describes the trading day ahead with all this volatility and potential disruption. What's your WEX word of the day? My word of the day is retail. Today's retail sales data in China and the U.S. are likely to show slowing momentum, at least outside of auto sales. China's data already this morning was softer than expected and showed a slowdown in momentum just four months after reopening. In the U.S., economists are expecting a gain of just 0.2% for the month when we take out autos and gasoline sales when that data comes out at 8.30. And of course, the retail sales data also sets the tone for the upcoming reports from Walmart and Target later this week. And all this 
follows Friday's University of Michigan consumer confidence numbers that were weaker than expected. We know consumer confidence drives two-thirds of the economy, and this slowdown isn't good news for those worried about a deeper economic downturn. Yeah, you know, um, when you're talking about the economic downturn, that might also hit some stocks that are reporting later, uh, Walmart and Target, two other big retailers as well. Um, in general, when you're looking for opportunities in the market today ahead of this big debt ceiling meeting, what areas are you looking at? What would you advise your clients to stay away from right now? You know, I, I think you want to stay away from those equities that are really focused on a return to zero interest rates. Those that are real excited about the Fed cutting aggressively later this year. I know it may seem that if we go into a default, the Fed would cut rates. I'm not sure uh, the process is that linear. Instead, I'd stay away from the tech sector and those high-flying liquidity-driven stocks. Focus on more quality equities. Think about uh, uh, stocks that have low price-to-cash uh, flow ratios or high dividend yields. Those have outperformed last year. They're doing pretty well this year also. I think that focus on quality is very important in a very high volatility period and concerns about how companies are funding themselves. Those companies with a lot of near-term cash flow don't have to go to the credit markets and borrow at these very high rates. They're funding themselves at the same rates they did last year, essentially out of their cash flow. So one last thought. When you're talking about bonds as well, Jeff, are you looking at short term or longer term? We're hearing some different opinions when it comes to the duration that you want to invest when it comes to bonds. You want to consider buying longer-term treasuries. Short-term treasuries could sell off. A similar scenario as 2011 may play out where the U.S. gets another downgrade. Long-term treasury bonds would probably rally on expectations that the withholding of funds to service government obligations would lead to a recession. But again, note that there's a whipsaw maybe from default to no default, and that could be very fast. Trading the default means to be very nimble here as you, as you look at trading, particularly in the, in the treasury market. All right, Jeff Kleinsoff and Charles Schwab, always great to see you. That's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC.